His word is a lamp and a light. And so he's guiding us. He's guiding us by his spirit and by his word. He's guiding us. Now, last week we talked about trusting God when you can't see what's going on behind the scenes, trusting God when you don't know exactly how it's going to come to pass or when it's going to come to pass. Trusting God is, is an art. You have to learn how to live a life that really, truly trusts God. So in any times of shakiness or uncertainty, you know for sure you're stable because you trust God. That means you can smile through earth life. You can laugh through earth life. You can enjoy the whole ride. This is a good year to practice it. This is our joy year. This is our enjoy year. You're supposed to enjoy this whole life with God. And if you're not enjoying life with God, you're not staying close enough to the life of God. You're probably not in church enough. You're probably not hanging out with Christians enough. You're not reading your Bible enough. You're not in prayer enough. You're not practicing the faith walk. Because if you do the faith walk, you'll, you'll enjoy life. That's right. Amen. The Christian life without the life of faith, I mean, without really truly walking close to the Lord is not a fun life. It's like, it's like an airplane. Somebody says, uh, here, everybody put on this parachute. You're like, I don't, I don't want to ride this whole plant, this whole flight with a parachute on. That's not fun. But if they say, well, they're going to, we're going to run out of gas about halfway. You're going to need it. Oh, it would be a delight to wear this parachute. That's how it is with, with the Lord, you know, the end. And so, yeah, yeah. You know, having to do a few things spiritually is more work. It's like wearing a parachute, but I know what's happening. I know that what's happening in heaven, I know there's treasure being laid up. I know the end is coming and I'm prepared. And so I'm going to enjoy this flight, even though I got a parachute on. Hallelujah. All right. Open your Bible to Romans chapter eight. So we talked about trusting him and uh, knowing that he works in you to will and do his good pleasure. He's working in you. He's working on your heart. He's, he's got his hand in there. He's, he, he's, he's doing things inside you that's necessary. You got to trust him to do that. All the situations, all the responsibilities, all the callings of God on your life, you have to trust him. All the situations you're in, all the decisions you have to make, you got to trust him. You know, even though I would prefer X, Y, Z, I'm trusting him. Even though I thought X, Y, Z, I'm trusting him. You have to be able to trust God through all this life. Situations aren't always easy. Circumstances aren't always easy. Your flesh isn't very easy. Your flesh actually is pretty stubborn. <clears throat> but Psalm 138 says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. And his work is honorable and glorious. Hallelujah. Romans chapter eight here. One of the... Uh, most wonderful chapters in the whole Bible. Yes. So your Romans chapter eight should be like every scripture underlined. Yeah. Every scripture underlined, lots of notes, like everything I've ever said should be written in there in the, in the margins. Uh, all right. So Tonight, what I want to do is talk about what happens behind the scenes with the Holy Spirit or in the unseen world with the Holy Spirit. So we know in theory or, or generally God is working, but how does he work? You know, he works locally with the Holy Spirit. 
Sure, he, he's on his throne, and sure, Jesus is Lord of all, uh, but there's this working behind the scenes that the Holy Spirit does inside of us. Like, the Holy Spirit's the one that develops your spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit's right. the one that communicates God's will to your spirit. Right. The Holy Spirit's the one that uh, refines your character. The Holy Spirit is the fire of God in you that is supposed to be burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Amen. Remember that scripture? It's kind of an odd way to say it. John the Baptist said it. He said, I baptize you with water, but he that comes after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. What does that mean? That means that the way that they threshed wheat, they would stick the, the pitchfork in, uh, in the wheat and shake the wheat so that the stubble would fall. They would throw the wheat in the good pile and then they would sweep up the stubble later and throw it in the fire. So he's, he's sifting you. Hallelujah. He, he's helping you recognize all the good in the love of God in you and all the bad. So all the bad, he's, he's fixing your character. He's refining you. He's purifying you. He's throwing you into the boiling pot of gold so that all the, the dross rises to the top. He scoops it off. So what you're left with is just a pure gold you. So he's doing that. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that working in you. And if you never go through the challenge of obeying God's will over your own will, you'll never get perfected. You'll never have your uh, stubble burnt up. And you'll be just kind of a, a dirty Christian. You'll be, an you'll be an imperfect vessel. You'll remain uh, just not purified. And so our, our job, our goal is to just jump in the pot of gold fire. Amen. Jump in the fire. The fire is not like terrible circumstances that are going to destroy your life. People say that sometimes, well, I'm going through the fire. What fire? Are you talking about inward dealings from God? I understand that. But if you're talking about outward circumstances like you lost family members and tragedies and sickness and disease and I lost my pinky toe uh, and so God's put me through the fire. No, that's not the fires from God. That's the fires from the world and the devil and hell itself trying to kill you. Somebody had this question today and I was typing out an answer. Uh, that God, that parents spank their children on the outside properly, not out of anger. Let me just give that disclaimer. But spanking is still viable even in this modern day. If you do it right, it drives out the kid's foolishness. Proverbs explains why you would spank. Never to harm, never out of anger, only properly for child correction. We might need some lessons on this. We'll let, the, we'll let the families that have the most kids do the teaching. How about that? <laughs> Parents spank their children on the outside. And it's never even to harm. God's not going to spank you on the outside, though. And never to harm. He spanks us on the inside. Because people, you start talking about this and people say, well, yeah, but God chastises. He, he disciplines his children. Yes, yes, on the inside. He's not harming your physical life. He's not stealing your money to train you. No, no, he's training you on the inside. He's, he's spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that's doing some of this working and he's doing it in your spirit. He's the one challenging you, convicting you, alerting you. 
He's putting some pressure on you on the inside to, to do the right thing, to make the right call. How's he doing it? He's doing it with his word and he's doing it with the spirit. That's how God chastises his people. You should sit there in church and go through great dealings from the Lord. Scripture is read, sermons are preached, topics are addressed, and then the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on your spirit, saying, you need to work on this. Every time we talk about pride, you should, the spirit should be, I mean, his finger should be all over you and you should be a letting him. You should be able to look to the Lord and say, search me, God, and show me. Just search me. My heart's open. You, you know me. Search me. Is there any place? Amen. You should be very bendable and pliable when the word of God is being taught. That's the chastisement and discipline of God. That's the child training. You're sitting there in church. You're getting child trained. I see you're all real enthused about this one. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 here. And so... As a pastor, you know, I know what I've been preaching for the past six months, year, and then I hear, I hear some issues happening with people or something going on in church. I'm like, they haven't been, they must not have been here. What? I've been preaching this stuff for months. <laughs> We're supposed to let the, the word of God get inside of us and fix us. I encourage you to do it quickly. I encourage you to just, just, just fall right on it and say, okay, meld me to it. Good word. All right, Romans chapter 8. Here's, here's some, uh, some thoughts about the Holy Spirit. Let me set it up with this. Romans 8 verse 1 talks about no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why you're not supposed to feel guilty and bad all the time. If you're in Christ, you don't need to feel like that. Amen. When you are getting challenged in church, it's not to condemn you. And, it, and if you're feeling condemned, then you've got a pride problem. Because the you read the Bible, it's not supposed to make you condemned. It's supposed to alert you. It's supposed to make you happy that you got, you got challenged, you got disciplined, you got trained. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if you walk according to the spirit and you're open and pliable and led by him and willing uh, then there's no condemnation. But if you choose to live a life in the flesh, you'll feel guilty for your whole life. Technically, you're forgiven and you don't have to have any condemnation. But if you choose to not walk with God, there's going to be a gnawing at your heart and you're going to have self-condemnation until you, until you turn. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. That's where you get the idea that you're not being punished for sins. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus freed you from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. The law of sin and death meant if you sin, you die. If you sin, you're punished. If you sin, you're partially killed until you're killed. The purpose of the curse of the law was to destroy people. We're freed from that. Hallelujah. And that's why you're not being punished for all your sins. Verse three, for what the, oh, I can't, I can't teach on all this. Okay. So <laughs> verse five, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, peace for the carnal mind is enmity against God, not subject to the law of God. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. So this whole chapter is about 
being in the spirit and the spirit in you, not just being a rational, earthly-minded, natural-minded person, but allowing this working of the spirit in you. Be in tune with the Holy Spirit, trusting the Holy Spirit rather than your own natural brain. How many of you got really smart natural brains? Few, few hands went up. I'm going to ask your spouse. How many, of you, how many of you have spouses that have really smart brains who think they have really smart brains? Hey, we, we appreciate intellect uh, and sharpness, uh, but you need to make sure that you're more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go ahead and skip to the back of the chapter here. Chapter 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. All right, now, now, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here, here you get into the fact that it's not just about us trusting God with blind uh, ignoring, ig ignoring the problem. We're not talking about just blind oblivious to God or what's going on. We're talking about true, true trust in the Holy Spirit. When we say trust God, it's not to just throw everything in God's sovereign bucket. Well, God is sovereign. Whatever he wants will happen. You know, I've gone here and I've gone there and I've done this and I've done that. Whatever God wants will happen. No, no, that's, that's the elementary view of how this works. Sure, you need a, a general confidence that God's going to work stuff out for you, but he still requires some cooperation. Like if you really want God's will to come to pass for your life, you're going to have to cooperate, cooperate, cooperate. You're going to have to cooperate, cooperate. You're going to have to cooperate with God. You're going to have to really cooperate God's divine will requires human participation, human obedience to his leadings, human cooperation with his will. Every divine intention requires a corresponding human response. Every divine intention requires something from you. And this is where so many Christians who think they're trusting God, they're really not trusting God. So you got to trust God so you're not worried, but you also have to take some faith steps. And part of that, and I think I mentioned it last week, was that this is not uh, without the Holy Spirit. So to, to be able to trust God and know for sure he's working, you must be close to the Holy Spirit and following him. Right. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so for God's will to come to pass, you have to trust him. Yes, that he's working. Yes. And also follow the Holy Spirit. Who is going to lead you into right decisions and into faith? We're going to get to that. He leads us into faith. That's the connection for you obtaining God's promises and his will for your life. So the spirit helps our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we are. So even in prayer, you don't even know how to pray right. Do you realize that? You don't even know... In your, in your natural reason, you don't even know how to pray right. Amen. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought. 
And that's why your prayers get some kind of sometimes boring and monotonous. Like, okay, Lord, now you know <laughs> that I hadn't really read my Bible yet. You know that my aunt, she's going through, you, you know, and you're just, it's just boring. God's bored. He's like, you're right. I know. I know. I know. You asked me yesterday to bless them and bless your kids and cover you at work. You already asked me all that. I already answered yes. Like, when are you ever going to actually have faith that I will do what you asked? So we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. So we go through all the natural steps. Well, I think this should happen like this. And if you could do that, and if you could surely fix them, then, then my life would be. And then you don't know what to pray for. You don't know what to pray for. Um, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. The Spirit himself will make intercession for us. It doesn't mean he will pray for you. Like, Holy Spirit, I'm going to work. Pray for me while I'm gone. No, it doesn't work that way. He'll make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that's where you find tongues, okay? And, and so part of praying in tongues could be groanings. Like how many of you have been praying in tongues and you got into a real groaning and it was from your spirit and you didn't know what to do with it, but it was there. So the spirit does have some groanings, but tongues itself is in an utterance that can't be articulated. Or one translation, uh, one Bible scholar said what he's referring to is utterance uh, in a tongue that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. And that's why it just sounds like babblings, right? So that was a prediction from the Old Testament that we would, with, a, with uh, stammering. stammering lips and another tongue, he would speak to his people. Yeah. It's like, what in the world is that? Exactly. That's the Holy Spirit giving you utterance that can't be really done in articulate speech, okay? So when he's talking about here is the Spirit helps our weaknesses and he helps us pray because we don't know what to pray and he does it with tongues. Amen. So I want you to understand that tongues is important for your life. This is how he helps your weaknesses. This is how the Holy Spirit helps your weaknesses. Is you give yourself over to him and, and pray in tongues and he gives utterance that is perfect prayer. You understand? So we're not just trying to make people speak in tongues to say, hey, they spoke in tongues. No, we're trying to help give you a tool for your life. And that's why even some spirit-filled churches, they don't really understand the value of this tool. So they're happy to have spoken in tongues. I remember the first time I met somebody and I was talking about the Holy Spirit and tongues and power. And this lady said, oh yes, I did that one time when I was a teenager and tongues and everything. I'm like, well, one time? It's like somebody didn't teach you properly. Come on. Because it's a huge advantage. Amen. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit yes. and use the tongues yes. and use the gift. Yes. This is where the stuff starts happening for. This is where your weaknesses start turning, getting strong. This is where he help, he helpeth your weaknesses. So don't be walking around like a, I mean, like don't be walking around as a Christian saying, oh, I'm just weak. 
Well, you haven't been praying in tongues, have you? Well, I, I do it. I do it. I do it every time I come to church. Every time that one song plays, I'm just so inspired to pray in tongues. You're not supposed to need to be inspired to pray in tongues. It's not when you get goosebumps. It's not in church time. It's all the time. It's a, it's a habit. It's like Bible reading. It's prayer. It should be part of your prayer life. Like you ought to pray. You ought to have at least 50% tongues, 50% English prayer life. At least. And more likely it should be about 10% English or known language and 90% tongues. Cause that's about all you got in your brain is about 10% decent prayer. Cause you don't, you don't have a clue. You don't really know all your character solutions and you don't know tomorrow's problems. And you don't know next year's vision that God has for your life. You don't know these things. You know your family and you know your dog and your cat and your finances. That's about 10%. 90% needs to be prayed in tongues because you have no idea what to pray for. Tongues helps you pray out your future. That's why people, even Christians, sometimes just find that they're stuck in the mud for years and years. They're not using the tool. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. There you go. He's making intercession. The Holy Spirit's making intercession through us, through our tongue, according to the will of God. So he's praying the perfect will of God. When you pray in tongues, you're praying the perfect will of God. It's a lot better than your own devised will. And then you can get to verse 28 and you can put that on your mirror. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are they're called according to his purpose. So people like to quote that one that we know all things work together for good. Yes, as long as you're partnered with the Holy Spirit because he's helping your weaknesses. He's helping you pray through. He's helping give an utterance. So once you've done that part, then you can say, yep, and I know God's taken care of every single thing. So this is not just blind trust because you think God's in total control of everything. Your trust in God is not the fact that he's in control of things. He's not in control of things. If he is, show me a scripture. Just go ahead and find me one. God is in control. Just find me that sentence in the Bible. Just find it once. I mean, you'd have to find it three times for us to preach it as a doctrine. Every word must be established by two or three witnesses. Find the statement, God is in control, period. Some of you are probably Googling it right now. (laughs) Listen, listen, go for it. I'm all for it. Holler it out when you find it. It's not in there. So I have a good question for you. Why is it said so much? Why is that some Christian's favorite verse? It's not even a verse. How can you keep promoting that as if it's the major doctrine of the Bible? This is where opinions sneak into the pulpit and get passed around because they're easier. That statement has lived this long because it's easier to believe that than to believe that I got to pray in tongues to get stuff to happen in my life. 
it's easier to believe that God's in control of everything rather than humans actually have some responsibility in their life. Amen. If everything that happens is God's will, I don't have to do anything. I can just float. Oh, bad thing must be God. Good thing must be God. That's how, pe- that's how some Christians live their life. It's claiming that everything, ha- I just believe everything happens. Find that sentence. Everything happens for a reason. Is it in there? Well, I just believe that everything happens for a reason. I have faith. I have strong faith. Everything happens for a reason. Fine. Show me the scripture. Just once. Just once. Can't find it. Inquiring minds want to know. Diligent Bible students want to know. Is it in there? It's not in there. So stop saying that. And if, and if everything does happen for a reason, it could be true. But it's not because of a divine reason. Lots of things happen, not for divine reason, but for stupid human reason. Because you did what you did. Because you didn't do what you're supposed to do. Because you had faith, yes. Because you didn't have faith, no. Because of your unbelief, ah. Because of your great faith, yes. Because you obeyed, because you disobeyed. Yes, there's reasons, but don't imply that it was a divine reason. There's reasons for blessing. There's reasons for stumbling. Don't blame it all on God. So trusting God is not just he's sovereign, everything that's happening is all his plan. No. For his plan to come to pass for your life, it takes you too. He has a plan, he has a will, he has a destiny, he has some ideas for you, he has some, he has some absolutes and he has some gray area where you get to have a choice. Like where do you want to eat tonight? After church. You don't need God's will for that. He lets you go eat. Chinese buffet. As long as you put a gospel track on the Buddha statue, you can. Is it a sin? Is it a sin to eat at the Chinese buffet restaurants? Because they worship false God. No. No. Go be a light in there. Go, go get somebody saved or just go eat. You can't live your life like that. I'll address that another day. People have made some really strange decisions as Christians trying to avoid supporting anything that looks like it. I know one fellow that wanted to quit his job at Kroger because he was having to sell beer and cigarettes when people wanted to buy them. And they didn't have a job. I'm like, what are you going to do now? He goes, I don't know. I said, you need a job. You should not have quit your job. Don't quit your job for something silly like that. You're not making people sin by working at Kroger. Just ask the other Kroger workers. No sense making ridiculous decisions like that. That means, that means you can't go to any restaurant and eat because they sell alcohol. 
You can't even go by the gas station because that's how they make most of their money on beer and cigarettes. Just no gas. That means you can, has, has anybody ever eaten at Torchy's Tacos? Yes. What's their mascot? The Did you feel guilty? <laughs> no, you eat the tacos. <laughs> and leave a track on the table. Don't be silly, Christians, okay? Don't, don't do stuff to, to show off like I'm, I'm taking my stand against Torchy's Tacos. You don't have to like Torchy's Tacos, but don't not eat there just because their mascot You know how many, okay, that's enough of that. (laughs) Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Praise the Lord. Verse 38, for I'm persuaded neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you got confidence from God right there that he's with you. He's in you. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can separate you. He's for you. He's never against you. He'll never forsake those that put their trust in him. You got to live your every waking day like that. Like there is no way God has left you. There's no way he'll forsake you or forget you. He will bring you through. He'll take care of it. You can trust him at his word. So, so just spend your time praying in tongues. So spend your day just delighting in the things of God. That's the secret to a good life. Look at... Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 is, is a good foundation about this. First Corinthians two, real fast. First Corinthians two. Verse nine, but as it is written, eyes not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those that love him. So he's got a lot of preparation for you. You can expect a good future no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how early you've gotten into the Lord, no matter how late you've been in the Lord. Verse 10, but God has revealed them. So these wonderful things, God has revealed them to us through his spirit, through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. He's revealed them to us through his spirit. How are you going to know the things prepared for you? Do you just bump into them? How do you know the things that God's prepared for you? Do you just accidentally fall into them tomorrow? Do you just hope and hope and hope and hope that something good happens in your life? Do you just try a hundred things hoping that something's good? No, he's revealed those good things to your spirit. You got to get familiar with the Holy Spirit inside your spirit. That's where you start connecting with reality of what it, what it means to be a Christian. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man, which is in him. 
Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That's kind of a deep statement. So no one really knows what's in your heart except you or except your spirit. Only your spirit knows, knows what's really happening. And that's why your spirit has to be stronger than your mind because your mind can, can, can shove you around in life. Your spirit knows better. You're, only the spirit really knows truth. You gotta get in tune with your spirit. You understand? So whatever you think, uh, may or may not be right. You can't just go by your thinking. You've got to go by your spirit, man. He knows and he lives with the Holy Spirit. So the spirit knows what the mind of God is. Your spirit knows what the mind of the spirit is. If you connect with him frequently, if you pray in tongues a lot, your spirit will connect to the Holy Spirit. You'll get to know the mind of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words that man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. We could also say that your natural mind will not receive the things because it sounds foolish until you train your mind, until you renew your mind. Unsaved people are never going to understand anything about your decisions Amen. based on the, the will of God. Right. Your unsaved family will never, ever understand why you would go to church. And they will never understand why you would give one dollar. Don't ever try to explain to unsaved family why you give. I wouldn't even tell them. There's no reason to even tell them. Unless the spirit would lead you. No sense getting in that discussion. With an unsaved person, they will never receive the things of the Spirit. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Well, now this is wow Wednesday night crowd. I can speak to you. Sunday, we're not so sure. Sunday, you have seekers. Sunday morning, you have more people that really don't know as much. They're not really all the way. I don't know the case, but there's some groups that we can go deeper with. Amen. Eventually, you should want to be the deeper crowd. That's right. I'm a Christian. I can handle it. I'm deep calls unto deep. I want to go there. I, I want to go through this with God. I want to go all the way. Amen. <clears throat> go look at 1 Corinthians uh, 14, chapter 14 here. I'm not putting down the Sunday crowd. I'm just saying there's some things that certain crowds can handle. And we try to go. Now, now around here, we, we, take, we go deep on Sunday too. And when we go deep with everybody, I just figure, you know, some people can float and some people can dive, whatever you want to do. We're never, we don't hold back here. You can tell, right? We just expect big stuff for everybody. That, you know, sometimes the deep things are what, what entice people that are just floating. You, you got to know that there's treasure to be had by God. Get off the boat, jump in. Amen. First Corinthians 14 verse Two, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Notice this word speak. It means to speak. 
Uh, and when you speak in tongues, you're speaking mysteries and nobody understands you, not even you. That's Bible. Some people pray in tongues, speak in tongues. They're like, I didn't understand any of that. Well, okay, I know. The Bible knows that. God knows that. He told us you're speaking mysteries though. Verse four, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. Yes, in church, people don't need to hear your tongues. They would benefit from prophecy though, in a known language, in your known language. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So when you speak in tongues, you're at least helping yourself. When you get around people, yeah, you might want to hold it in a little bit. But when, but when you're by yourself, you want to edify yourself. And so sometimes people get a little confused about tongues, like, well, but isn't it supposed to be in, to people in front of people? Not always. Tongues and interpretation is for a crowd. Tongues, tongues with no interpretation is for me. <clears throat> Verse 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So here you got the term pray. So he who speaks in a tongue, pray that you may interpret. And that could be in church if you had a tongue for the congregation. Also desire to interpret that for everybody. And if you don't, then somebody else will interpret that. That makes sense? You've heard tongues and interpretation here, right? And so if you're giving the tongue, you should also, you can pray to interpret it. Or when you're praying in tongues and you get done, you can also ask God for the interpretation. And sometimes you might get it. It's one of those things you can't force. You can't always know what you prayed in tongues, but it's open. And so you can leave that as an open thing with God. I mean, I, out of all the tongues I've prayed, I've got many, many interpretations, whether it's immediately or later. If you'll give yourself to a life of praying in tongues, you'll start getting some revelation in the wildest times. You'll start interpreting, or you might get an interpretation right after you prayed, and you'll know exactly what you just prayed through. So you can always ask the Lord, and if you don't get an interpretation and understand what you prayed, go on about your business and just take it by faith. Lord, I don't know, is there anything you want to show what, what I just prayed there? Anything? Anything? Anything I need to know particularly right now? I'm open. Thank you, Lord. All right. Okay. Well, I'll just take it by faith. You can show me some other time today. But it says here, pray that you would interpret. So you need to do that. Expect that he would give you an interpretation. Verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, now he, now he uses the term pray. And if you look it up in the Greek, it's two different words, speak and pray, two different words. Speaking in tongues, yes. Praying in tongues, yes. And this verse, you need to recognize it's not just for public. Praying in tongues. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So when you pray in tongues, your spirit is praying. But you got to do the praying. You can't just silently say, okay, Holy Spirit, pray in tongues for me while I work. No, you can pray in tongues at work under your breath. You know, you don't have to be loud when you, when you talk, do you? You can whisper. And you can even actually do something even quieter than whisper. Can't you? It's called talking under your breath. You can suck in air and talk. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I didn't even give any breath out. 
So there's a way to pray in tongues silently in, the, in public settings. Verse 15, what's the conclusion? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding. So you have to get familiar with the fact that uh, your spirit needs to pray. And the Holy Spirit then can pray out mysteries in the will of God for your life. You'll get familiar with terms that the Bible uses where the spirit, all of a sudden you become this companion of the Holy Spirit. He's your comforter. He's your friend. He's your helper. Yes. And you become his. And all of a sudden when he talks, you can hear when he leads, you can follow and you'll get familiar with his unction. First John chapter two says that we have an unction from the Holy one. And we know all things that there's an anointing in us that teaches us all things. And in the same word is unction, anointing and unction, same word in the Greek. So we have an unction. It's like a, a, a leap. We have an unction from the Holy one, the Holy spirit in us. And we know all things. So your spirit man knows stuff that your brain needs to acknowledge. Many times people come with a decision they got to make. It's like, you know, the answer deep down. So why don't you pray in the spirit until it surfaces? Or why don't you just admit what you already know? The more sensitive you get to the spirit, the closer you get in relationship to him, the easier that is. And you'll know when the spirit says, go here. One scripture in Acts 8 with Philip, it says, and the spirit caught away Philip. What does it mean to be caught away? You better find out. You better start practicing the leading of the spirit. When you sense something, let him catch you away. You have to, you have to live this life by unction by anointing. You have to live this life by leading of the spirit, by unction, by anointing. That's how you live the life of faith is by unction. You got to pray in tongues so that you're close to him, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Another scripture says, the spirit bade me. You better find out what that means. The spirit wanted me, bade me to go with him. The spirit said to him, you see all those type words in the scripture. And one thing that the Holy Spirit does is he activates your faith. And he activates your faith by showing you the door with the timer that says, ding, 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 now, 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 now. And he shows you that. In the spirit, you know it. Then he says, now go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. What's he waiting on? He's waiting for me to take a step of faith. Once he shows us the will of God, now he's waiting on us. You've prayed yourself to the door of opportunity. It might be closed. The step of faith opens it. It might be open. And the step of faith is to avoid this door and go to the next one. But you can only know that by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit leads you to the right scripture so that you can have faith in it. Then you take a step of faith. So he's very integral in you getting the will of God to come to pass. So you're trusting God. That's good. But be sure that you're also following the Holy Spirit and you're ready to take a step of faith when you know what to do. Hallelujah. Uh, go to uh, Acts chapter 16. We'll just take this little trek with Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16. Uh, remember Jesus said in John 6, he said, the, he said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. Quickens. It's the spirit that quickens, makes alive. It's the spirit that gives you unction. The flesh profits nothing. What, here's an example. Uh, I'm looking at which job to take and I see an offer. 
Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And the flesh says, yay, God loves me. But the spirit quickens me this way. But you ready? What are you going to do? The flesh profits nothing. The flesh gets real excited about dollar signs. May or may not be the will of God. Oh no, God wants me to be rich. He has lots of stuff that he wants for you. It may or may not include this job though. You willing to go with the Holy Spirit because he quickens you this way. He makes you alive this way. He gives you an unction this way. You're led this way. It's a more peaceful life. You get over here in this flesh hand with big dollar signs. All of a sudden your life is chaotic. You're stressed out. You're anxious. You can't even handle the money. You got to be very careful. The Holy Spirit's the one to, to keep you safe. You understand? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't that exciting? I remember in my, in my first assignment at the church, uh, I was doing outreach in the community. I was doing a lot of things at the church. Uh, and I prayed in tongues a lot. And I was seeking the will of God, making sure I was in the will of God. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to get into the two high schools, big high schools in A-Leaf, and I wanted to, I'd gone to one of them, but I was trying to reach all the teenagers, trying to reach all the communities, all the apartment complexes. And I'm like, I want to get in those schools and preach to the kids. And I'm praying this in tongues. And, and uh, all of a sudden I found myself at the post office. Now I like to live my life by unction. So when I have an urge to go, I'm going to do it by, by my spirit. Now, I can't trust that with like chips and queso because that is too close. It's too close. But doing errands and stuff like that, you got to live by unction, making phone calls, making plans. You got to try to do it by unction. That's how I always wanted to do it. And uh, some of these first moments really stick in you. It's like my first, it's, it's stuck in my spirit. It's like, man, this was the, one of the big, so these little, that's why a lot of my stories are from the past. It's because I remember them. They were written on blank canvas. I noticed that with Kenneth Hagin. Most of his stories were prior to 1960. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't you have any new stories? Uh, but I know, I know why that is. It's because that's, you remember those better. Out of all the healings, I remember the first ones the best. More powerful ones happened after, but I remember those first ones. Anyway, so, uh, so I've been praying about the community and all. And all of a sudden, I found myself in line at the post office, and I was standing next to a lady and shared Christ with her. She goes, oh, I'm the, I'm the Students for Christ uh, sponsor at the high school. Perfect. Perfect. I said, can I come preach? Can I come? She invited me to come teach to the Students for Christ. And so I, got, I gave them like 5,000 tracts, told them to saturate the whole school and get in trouble in the name of Jesus. <laughs> But I remember that because God set that up for me. Very, very unlikely, right? Uh, and, and a lot of those things happen because you, you've prepared. You've prayed out your future and, and all of a sudden it just seems easier. <clears throat> Joni and I did the same thing uh, looking for a house. You know, one day in the spring, I think it was in March, uh, <laughs> we were sitting at our old house and we're like, Let's go, let's go house shopping just for fun. Let's go look at house communities that we might want to build. That was a big mistake. But we did it by unction. 
I mean, we have this little strange unction. Now, you can't always trust that if it's like, let's go to Disney World. <laughs> so we went and we looked at two or three communities. Before the day was over, we had put money down on a house. <laughs> Great. But turned out the house is just down the street. We didn't know this was where the church was going to be. Turned out to be just perfect for the future. We did it by unction. Got to live by unction, even if it costs you money. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, Acts chapter 16, take a look at Paul and Silas here. So uh, they, first they were forbidden to go to Asia by the Spirit. Uh, verse 7, the Spirit did not permit them. Verse 6, the, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. You got to know what that would feel like if you were forbidden. Have you ever felt forbidden of the Holy Spirit? Everybody look up here. Have you ever felt, felt forbidden by the Holy Spirit to do something? You know what that feels like. Or you're going to make some error. And you're going to miss the will of God or delay the plan of God. Sometimes detour your life for 10 years. Listen, I don't know if some of you are single and you're, you're online looking for Christians. And uh, if you don't follow the Holy Spirit properly, you might mess up five years of your life. Waste time. Or any other thing that you do. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit, verse 7, after they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Still, he's stopping them. Sometimes we're, we're kind of stubborn. We're headed somewhere. You got to be alert. Verse 9, then a vision appeared to Paul. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded, over, pleaded with them, saying, come over to Macedonia, Macedonia and help us. And so now they got a leading in the Spirit, like a real vision. And therefore, sailing from Troas, uh, skip down to verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where the prayer was customarily made, sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to, to heed the things spoken by Paul. That's a good term there. The Lord opened her heart. So you're, you're out there preaching to everybody, watching for those the Lord whose heart the Lord opens. Verse 15, and when she and her, he opens the honest and good hearts, you know. He's not just arbitrarily choosing or condemning. He, he's, anybody who's open to him and pliable, he opens their heart. Verse 15, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and, and stay. So she persuaded us. And it happened as we went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. This she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Uh, apparently it wasn't immediately, but he came out that very hour. Uh, notice that it took many days before Paul got grieved enough. Sometimes we've had the devil do this you know, in, in crusades or, or anywhere we're preaching. And it seems like somebody's just being annoying. Like they're trying to act like a Christian, but you can tell it's not Christian. Right. She's saying the right stuff, but you can just tell this is out of order. Yeah. And so at first you may not do something, but if it continues, and that's what happened here after several days, many days, it says that's more than three. Uh, after many days, Paul realized or decided, okay, it's time. I'm done with this. Come out, you demon. 
But when her master saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, brought them to the magistrates, etc. And then it says, verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and crying about it. Sending emails to, to all the Christians everywhere to pray for them. At midnight, Paul and Silas were questioning God and wondering if, the will, if they were in the will of God because they had such a terrible thing happen in their life. Okay, so you have to recognize right here, what are they doing? They're trusting God. They were led to go to Macedonia. One, one lady in her family gets saved. And they're in prison. Like, is this worth it? You can't, you can't analyze in the natural. You have to trust the will of God. That means you got to know the will of God when you started. So that when things get a little rocky, you can trust him. So that when you find yourself in jail, when you find yourself in a tough spot, wait a second, wait a second, it's okay, it's okay. Glory to God, I'm just going to pray. King James says they prayed and sang praises. This says they were praying and singing hymns. Either way, if you conjugate the verb, whatever. They were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. And verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prison were shaken, immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's chains were loosed, the keeper of the prison, uh, waking from sleep, the, seeing the prison doors open, supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And Paul said, do yourself no harm, we're all here. And so, sirs, what, verse 30, the jailer, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in all your household. And they spoke to the word of the Lord to all them, and they were all in the, to all who were in his house. And he took them, washed their stripes, and immediately all in his family, he and all his family were baptized. So the question is, uh, would the, the guard and his family been saved if Paul and Silas hadn't have stayed in faith? Like, did Paul and Silas really have to be in faith in the jail? What if they had complained? What if they fretted in jail? Would the earth have quaked and the prison opened? No. It's a good question. If you can find a pattern, because it doesn't really say exactly, but if they had not prayed and sang praises, if they had not demonstrated some faith, if they had not followed some pattern of how God operates, I don't think that the prison would have opened and I don't think the jailer and his family would have been saved. Do you see how you and I might have delayed the plan of God coming to pass for our life? Because you didn't pray and sing praises in tough times. You, you complained and worried and fretted and forgot God. You didn't really trust God. What's interesting is that, man, they were only in there like one day, it looks like. Just one half a day. You can end your season of turmoil if you'll just instantly decide to trust God, pray, sing praises, get yourself out of your mental thinking. We're talking about trusting God, knowing behind the scenes he'll take care of whatever if you'll do your part. What's your part? Your part is to not waver. Praise the Lord. All right, we're almost done here. I guess we're 
Uh, final scripture, James chapter 1, and we'll end with that. At my, uh, that, that same first assignment, same first church I was at, uh, I've told the story where uh, every couple weeks, every two or three weeks, I would get in this place of feeling like I didn't know what the future was. Am I in the will of God? Is my future secure? What am I supposed to do as my first assignment after leaving my career? It's like I'm, now I'm looking for where am I supposed to head? And so I was being faithful with what I had to do. That's one of the secrets to the will of God is you got to be faithful where you're at. But I was also praying, making sure my future was secure. And, and so I would pray myself into comfort about every three weeks. And I'd know I'm in the will of God. It's wonderful. Uh, but then after about two years of this, uh, all of a sudden I'm praying in tongues. And I felt very empty, lost. Go, like, what? Just wasn't the same. And some things had, uh, some strange things had happened at the church for quite a while. And I, I knew they weren't right. I'd always kept myself right in the middle of it, never was upset, never was offended, never was hurt, never was, I just walked in love and did the best I could to support everybody and the whole church. And, uh, but all of a sudden I'm praying in tongues and it's, it's gone. And I thought, oh man, what do I do? And I had this unction. I had this, I had this real strong leading. My time is up here. I'm like, I can't leave. I'm a loyal guy. I'm loyal. I'm not leaving, but I had this strong unction. And so I, I remember I came in on a Monday and I packed up my desk and, and I, but I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not going to, I packed up my desk trying to obey the spirit. And then I'm like, that's it. I'm not, I don't feel the unction to tell anybody. And I just sat on it. I just felt like I had done what I needed to do. I've taken my step of faith. Two days later on a Wednesday, the pastor comes into the staff. He gets us together. He says, well, I'm, I'm closing the church. Oh. On one hand, I was sad. On the other hand, <laughs> I already knew. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, you don't always know all the whys, but you know the, the feeling, you know the unction. And I thought, okay, okay, no problem. Well, that night was a, you know, a tear buster for me, you know, I, anyway, but I landed in the next phase of my ministry is what happened. And so that, that's a whole other story, but it was by unction. It was, it was the God leads us. You trust him, you pray in tongues, you follow the spirit, you do it right. Now, if you don't do it right, you can't trust hardly anything. If you don't walk in love, you can't trust yourself. If you make moves based on feelings, you just, you mess it all up. Can't trust anything. Got to do it by the spirit. That means you got to do it with a smile. You got to do it with confidence. You got to do it with love. You got to do it with joy. Because if you're in the spirit, man, you'll be full of joy. Singing praises in the jail. Y'all need to work on that before you go to jail. <laughs> Some of you just barely stub your toe in life. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You're not in jail. <laughs> James 1 uh, tells us, and that's why you see 
Paul and Silas came through their, their predicament pretty quickly. You don't see any wavering. You don't see any, any finger, finger twiddling. You don't see any wringing of the hands. You don't see any statement at all except, oh, they just prayed and sang praises and boom, the, right. the prison opened. Uh, because verse six, anything you ask from God, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For don't let that, do not let that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So listen, you have to recognize, don't let a wavering man think he will receive anything from the Lord. What that means is God will not get involved if you doubt at all. Don't let anybody at Houston Faith Church even think they'll receive something from God if they're double-minded and uncertain about him doing it. I can't let you even think it. Do you see how much trust we need in him? Do you see how you need to recognize if you don't have full trust in God and you're not comforted and joyful, something's wrong and you better get it straight before he can get involved. It's so quiet in here. It's hitting home, right? This is, this is actually, this is where you believe scripture. That it's not just all peaches and ice cream with God. It's don't you doubt and then the earth can shake for you. Don't doubt at all and then God will come through for you. Amen. Be sure to trust him through everything. With a smile, with praises, with joy, with glory. Amen. And you'll be healed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon.